So if uh, you're visiting with us this morning, or maybe you've been on vacation for a couple weeks this summer, a special word of welcome to you. And it's important to know that we're picking up in our, uh, the conversation we've been having all summer. We have called it our summer mixtape, which means we have taken 12 of the greatest stories in the Bible, greatest, 12 of the greatest stories of faith, six stories that we know really well, and six stories that maybe we have never heard of before in our lives, and we have blended them together into a sermon series. And this morning, we're going to turn to one of the greatest stories in the Bible. You had to know that this story was coming, the story of Jesus being crucified on the cross. How can you have a summer mixtape and not have the greatest song, the greatest story ever written included? But this, this morning, we're going to take a different look at this story that we all know so well. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. These used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee, and there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, Joseph went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he were already dead and summoning the centurion. He asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph bought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb. That tomb had been hewn out of rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where the body was laid. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O oh God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. For you hover in all places and in all times. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would breathe new life into these ancient words, into this ancient story. That these words and this story may speak to us afresh and anew this very day. And we ask, O oh God, that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth. 
into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if I gave you a three-hour window right now, three hours uh, that were totally uninterrupted and you could do anything you wanted to do in those three hours, how much do you think that you could accomplish? How much could you accomplish at work or in the city of Dallas or for your family? In three hours, you could drop the kids off at school. You could even have time to go to the grocery store, get a, a workout in, do meal prep for the week, and maybe even have time to get your car washed. For three hours, you could go to the symphony. You could uh, catch a movie. And I know some of you who can't play 18 holes in under four hours, you would find a way to squeeze in 18 holes in three. You know, I was on the phone with a church member this week, and uh, they reminded me that they build in nine-minute increments. I asked that they wouldn't bill me for the call that we were on. But I guess if I gave you three hours uninterrupted, you could bill 20 different clients in three hours. If I gave you three hours, you could read to three children at McShan, teach a class at Literacy Achieves. You could put in almost an entire morning on a Habitat build, couldn't you, Bill? Three hours, you could go to volleyball practice. You could post five Instagram stories, 55 Snapchats, and still have time to have lunch with your friends. What could you do with three hours? You see, buried in our gospel lesson today is one of the greatest stories of faith ever recorded in history. It's a story of faith about what a person of great political influence, a person of great power and wealth did in three hours, or what God did through them in three hours. Joseph of Arimathea is a little-known figure in the Bible. Honestly, we don't know much about him. Scholars have spent almost no time writing articles or in commentaries about Joseph of Arimathea. He's not mentioned anywhere else in all of Scripture other than the 120 words that are dedicated to him in this story. In fact, we know so little about him that scholars don't even know where Arimathea was. This is what we do know according to the Gospel accounts. Joseph of Arimathea shows up in the Gospel of Mark that we read this morning. But he also shows up in Matthew's Gospel and John's Gospel. We know that Joseph of Arimathea is a rich man, and he's a follower of Jesus. Apparently, you can be both. We also know that Joseph is a member of the council, that, that is the Jewish Sanhedrin, which had power and influence in political, religious, and judicial matters. Uh, when I say Sanhedrin, think people who wear red pants or our state senator. The Sanhedrin was made up of 71 religious leaders in Jerusalem. The head of the Sanhedrin, the head of the council, was the chief priest Caiaphas. Caiaphas reported straight to Pilate. Pilate 
reported directly to Caesar. It was common for cities under Roman authority to have their own local councils to deal with legislative, judicial, and religious matters. Sanhedrin's power was limited slightly in scope. For instance, they couldn't sentence anyone to death. They needed the Roman Empire to do that for them. For instance, I learned this this week. It was the Sanhedrin. It was this council that bribed Judas in Holy Week with those 30 pieces of silver so that Judas could hand over the body of Jesus to them. It was the Sanhedrin that held a mock trial, and it was the Sanhedrin that applied the political pressure to Pilate to take the body of Jesus and to execute him. The Sanhedrin was a group of power, connection, wealth, and influence. Nothing stood in their way. Nothing was too big the Sanhedrin not even taking out the king of the Jews, or so they thought. It's important for us to understand how the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin operated. Because it gives us a clue, it gives us a window into how Joseph of Arimathea operates in our passage this morning. Joseph of Arimathea is a member of the council. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, a wealthy, influential, powerful, connected person in Jerusalem. And he's the one who stands at the end of this story. None of Jesus' disciples are there. None of the, the male ones, anyway. They flee and go into hiding. It's Joseph who returns to get the body of Jesus. A rich man stands at the end of the gospel, a member of the Sanhedrin who leverages all that he has for the body of Christ, and it only took him three hours to get the body from the cross. Three hours to get that body ready for burial and out to the gravesite. How in the world? How in the world does he do it? It's not like Joseph of Arimathea could make a phone call. Not like he could send an email and say, hey, Pilate, I'm on my way. Um, accept my calendar invite. It's not like he could have sent for a car. More importantly, how in the world did he get the body? I mean, this is a body that Pilate wouldn't want to give up. Crucifixions were public executions meant to send a message. Crosses served as a billboard for the Roman Empire. This is what happens to you if you try to go against us, the Roman Empire. Bodies were left on crosses for days to rot. Here hangs the king of the Jews. There's no way in the world that Pilate would want to give that body away. Not during Passover, not in Jerusalem. It's like having a five-minute commercial spot uninterrupted on Super Bowl Sunday. How did Joseph get that body? I imagine Joseph did what rich people do. 
I imagine Joseph did what people of power and influence do. I imagine Joseph did what people who have connections do. I imagine that Joseph walks right into the hall of power, right into Pilate's praetorium, and he requests a meeting. A poor peasant farmer couldn't have got this meeting, but Joseph could. Let's be clear, no one could get a meeting with Pilate unannounced, especially on a Friday afternoon. You can't find a dentist in Dallas on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> and let me just say this really quickly. There's, a, there's some dentists here. And I provide pastoral care to them on Friday afternoons on the golf course. <laughs> and so they would know that you couldn't find me in this building on a Friday afternoon. Friends, I can't prove this, but let me be clear. I think with just a little bit of imagination, Joseph of Arimathea walked into the praetorium and into Pontius Pilate's office, and he says to his assistant, Hey, Pat, I know that it's late, but I need to see Pontius. Is he free? And don't you know that Pat said something like this? Oh, Joe, you know, for, for you, he has all the time in the world. Can I get you a cup of coffee or maybe a glass of water before you go in? No, thanks, Pat. I won't be here long enough to, to even have a, a, a full drink. Oh, then go right in. He's just in there checking his mail from the week. Joseph walks in and Pilate says, hey, Joe, quite a spectacle today, wasn't it? Brings you all the way over here so late on a Friday afternoon. Everything okay with your family? The kids all right? Yeah, 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 everything's okay. Pontius, I'm actually here because I need a favor. I don't, I, I'm sorry to bother you. You need a favor? What's that? I, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I, need, I need the body. I need Jesus' body. You need the body? Why do you need the body? I mean, you had the body on Wednesday. You could have kept it. But you and the council that you're on, you told me to take care of him. You told me to kill him. You wanted me to send a message that this is what happens when people try to cross you guys. This is what happens to relig religious radicals. Joe, let that body stay up on the cross. Let the birds and the dogs come and pick off his flesh. Let him rot. Joe, let that body be a billboard to anyone who's thinking about challenging you guys again. Let me do what I do, man. Pontius, I know that's what we usually do, but it's different this time. I just, I just need, the, I, I need the body. What, what will it cost me? What do you mean, what will it cost you, Joe? Pontius, it cost us 30 pieces of silver the other night to get the, the body, and I'm... I need you to know I'm prepared to pay much more this afternoon for that body. What will it take? I mean, I know that you've run into some trouble getting that high-speed rail between Jerusalem and Jericho built, you know. <laughs> the one that'll get people to and from in six minutes. The one that you promise will help the economy. I know some guys I can help get that done. Or how about that new stadium that you want just west of town? I know some guys that could help us pave the way. Be 
can even name it after you. How does Pontius Pilate Arena sound? <laughs> How about I help you get one of those done, and just for good measure, I'll, uh, I'll make a donation to your family foundation. Like I said, I need the body. Joe, I think we can work something out. But I need you to answer this one question for me. Why? Why does this body matter so much to you? Why do you want this body in your fancy tomb? Why do you want to spend your money and your influence on this? Why? Well, because I belong to him. I'm one of his disciples, man. I gotta have that body. You? You're one of his disciples. Well, isn't that interesting? I think I'll take the arena now that you mention it. <laughs> and I know the foundation will be very excited to hear of your generous donation. And let me be really clear with you for a second, Joe. I didn't want this body to begin with. You guys got me into this mess. You take his body, but you just remember this. You better help us get that arena done, or it may slip out that you belong to him. Those are your words, not mine. I just imagine if that got out in the Jerusalem times, you might end up on the same cross he did. Oh, Joe, on your way out, can you pull the door shut? Give your family my best. I think Joseph of Arimathea cut a deal for the body. It's what the Sanhedrin and people of power do. Politics get played out differently behind closed doors than they do in front of the cameras. Joseph of Arimathea walks out of Pilate's office having just leveraged all of his power, all of his influence, and his wealth to cut a deal for the body of Christ. He leaves the office and John's gospel says that Joseph meets up with Nicodemus. You remember him? The rich man that shows up in the middle of the night to ask Jesus the question that's been keeping him up. How do I inherit eternal life? Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin along with Joseph and they go out. And those two powerful people buy a brand new linen cloth to wrap the body of Jesus in. And then they carry the body and they place it in that fancy, hand-hewn tomb. And they roll the stone in front of it. The body of Christ ends up in a rich man's tomb. And don't you know that Joseph had no idea? Don't you know that Joseph of Arimathea had no idea that his tomb would be used as a pit stop? that he paid good money for Jesus to merely spend half a night because God was going to give back the body back to the very world that killed him. Joseph of Arimathea leveraged all that he had in those three hours for the body. Every moment of his life, every position of power that he had held, 
prepared him for that meeting with Pilate on a Friday afternoon, and Joseph knew what to do on Friday. He knew that his money belonged to him, but he knew that his heart belonged to Christ. Friends, I think there's a Joseph of Arimathea in every single one of us. And you may be visiting this morning for the very first time. You've come just to check this place out. And you think, oh, he's not talking to me. You might be a longtime member, and you may be thinking, oh, he's not talking to me. I'm not Jeff Bezos rich. Let me make it plain. Let me make it abundantly clear this morning. I'm talking to every single one of us, myself included, this morning. Because every one of us has agency. Every single one of us, no matter your age, has influence. Every one of us has power. Everyone has a particular expertise. And perhaps even some of us have a little bit of wealth. All of us have agency. The question is this, what are we willing to give? What are we willing to leverage? for the body, for the body of Christ. My buddy uh, Steve said to me this week when I was talking to him, he said, Matthew, let me put it to you this way. Matthew, when you stand at the end of your story, when you stand at the end of the story, and your life belongs to Christ, all of it, everything you have, your social capital, your money, all of who you are. The power that you have to change the landscape of this city. Because there's doors that you can open that nobody else in that town can open. When you stand at the end of your story, what will you have given for the body? We have to ask that question question that faces all of us because all of us have agency. There are people who will give you an audience. No, they'll not give anybody else an audience. But people will listen to you because there's a Joseph of Arimathea in you, a person of strength that God will use for good to change this world, to change this city. When you stand at the end of your story, what will you have leveraged? What will you have given for the body? Friends, the good news of the gospel is also the invitation to faith. We believe in a God who calls us to participate with God in the very thing that God is doing. And there is no greater privilege in the world. So what would you do with three hours for the body of Christ? What are you willing to give for the body? I guess it depends on how much the body's worth to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.